0: hello everybody welcome whoops 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 this is not looking that great hi everyone welcome to the final edition of pink sabha we are on session four the last session and this is anish Kavande, and i am the curator over at Pinklist india we're going to wait for a few more people to join in and embark upon what is going to be an incredibly fun incredibly special last session with a surprise guest so while you're joining In the comment box below, and if you've cheated on Twitter or seen my Instagram, you are not allowed to respond to this. Tell me who you think the surprise guest is going to be. We have an incredibly exciting surprise guest today who is going to be sharing their journey as somebody who's worked on the ground and who's brought together all these incredible fields, all these fields, on the Queer Guide to Getting Elected. So, hi everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Join in, join in, join in. We'll wait for a few more people to join in and we'll wait for our surprise guest to also join in you are on pink sabha your queer guide your guide to getting elected while queer i've also forgotten the name in the four sessions that we've held and this is session number 4 our last session and i am very very sad that this is getting over i had really enjoyed waving to everybody waving to everybody here should i wave yes i like i, I like this wave feature I loved having all of you here these past three sessions and today on this fourth one. We are creating something incredibly exciting and these conversations are the conversations that will shape how young queer people get elected in India today. So I'm very glad to have you here. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, Pink Sabha is your guide to getting elected while queer in collaboration with KC Family and Pink List India. I am Anish Kavande. I serve as the curator for Pinklist India. And you can find all those things in a short message that I will post very quickly once we have our surprise guest. Um, on top of that, in the past few sessions, we've discussed one, what are the different layers of politics, cooperator, MLA, MP, also member of legislative council, which we'll touch briefly upon today. We've also discussed the history of queerness in India, from Ambedkar fighting for queer rights, to Namdev Dhasar, to the AIDS Bhedba virod Andolan to NAS, to NOW. We've also touched a little bit upon what it means to create a platform. Hi, Sakshi. Uh, What it means to create a platform and also what it means to have some sort of entryway into politics, be that joining a political party or be that creating something of your own. So in this last session, we're going to be on here with a surprise guest, seeing if they are going to be... Sharing with us their journey of queerness and politics and how they've gone forward. So, surprise revealed our surprise guest is Dr. Aksa Sheikh. Dr. Aksa Sheikh is a doctor at Jamia Hamdard in New Delhi and she's been doing some path breaking work up there fighting COVID 19 but also doing incredible work with relief during the Delhi riots. So, I'm going to quickly message Aksa. And while I message her, you can drop in any questions you have, any comments you have. And let's check if she is here already. And she is not. But she will be here soon. So, to recap very quickly, we've gone through what it means to get elected while queer. We've also seen the challenges that can present themselves when you're running for elections so many of you have been here and here we are with our very fabulous our very exciting dr aksa Sheikh, and i'm going to voila invite her Sheikh, stay tuned this is going to be a cracker of a conversation i'm very excited
1: hello hi hello hi how are you wonderful how am i audible you? am i audible perfectly yes. well yeah Good. you are perfectly
0: audible. I have to check everybody watching. Can you hear? Can you hear Aksa? Can you hear Dr. Saab? Dr. Saiba? <laughs> I don't know, I've never said that before. Hey na, who are you? Hello, huh? I hope, I hope all, all of, you of you can
1: hear me. Uh, yeah, I keep forgetting that I play so many roles. Okay, so Sakshi oh. <laughs> has said yes. <laughs> okay, she can hear. Yeah. Okay. okay. Okay, chalo.
0: Peli cheese, thank you so much for coming on to Pink Sabha, your guide to getting elected while queer. Ye Hamara last session. And we're very excited to have you over here because we've been discussing a lot of things about, you know, how to create a platform, how to sort of understand the history of queer politics, how to sort of find ways to enter politics. And you have started this journey already. And you are a rising star. At least on and Facebook. I- <laughs> At least on Facebook. So, for yeah. all of you who don't know, uh, Aksa changed her sort of profession on Facebook to politician, thinking nobody yes. would notice. And quickly <laughs> I saw, her, I was like, finally, finally, <laughs> yes. that has been done because Aksa and I met online first. And then Aksha and I met at a transaction acting workshop at yes. Lalit in New Delhi with mm-hmm. the lovely Faraz Arif Ansari, whose film Shir Kurma you should check out. And we have been in touch and Aksa yes. is pathbreaking. So I'm going to give Thank all of you a quick introduction to Aksa because the work she's been doing is truly at the forefront of intersectional activism. She's redefined what it means to be queer and also have some sort of grounding in other social issues. She's really pioneered what it means to speak up and stand up for others' rights, even when they don't affect your own. She's a Dr. Jamia Hamdard, in New Delhi. She's from Bombay, moved to Delhi. She's also done some incredible work right now with COVID relief and before that with Delhi riots and rehabilitation of victims during the Delhi riots with some incredible fundraising and powerful, powerful advocacy. Along the line, she's also been a strong advocate on all political and social issues and has a fan following on Twitter and (laughs) Facebook, which you really need to check out because she is a powerhouse right uh if you go to her instagram if you scroll a little lower you will see some incredible posters from not too long ago when she has collated and put all of them up queers against ca queers against nrc so very happy to have you here Ksa.
1: yeah same here tell me how are you doing right now uh, right now? uh hal, it's uh are- it's uh it's totally like we have gone crazy in the first week of june onwards um uh, and we were completely submerged with anxiety uh, because of the covid since we were on the path of becoming the next mumbai Uh, but fortunately uh, thanks to delhiites and uh, certain other factors the cases have now started coming down but then the counter side of that is that people have stopped will prevail and uh, people will take care of themselves and the near and dear ones. Um, But yes, I mean, if you step out of your house, you don't really feel like we are under lockdown or anything because malls are open, people are there out on the streets, which is good, at least for the mental health, I would say.
0: Okay, okay, that is interesting news to hear from Delhi. But Abhi, I want to know a little more that you've been doing a lot of work for a long time. So what mm-hmm. inspired you to start doing the work that you do? How did you transition from being a doctor, treating patients to doing all these incredible things?
1: Uh, I think it was more of my own personal fight. Um, it was my own issue, which I wanted to tackle at the level of the institution. As you know, I had joined Jami Hamdad around seven years back. And that's also the place where I transitioned from Dr. Zakir Hussain to uh, Dr. Aksash Sheikh, right? And at every step, you know, right from uh, coming out of the closet, talking to your own students, to your own friends about who you really identify as. So every step was very challenging. Uh, Jamia Hamdar is a Muslim minority institution. So I had that another level of barrier, you know, to convince my um, co-fellows about that it's not against Islam, that's in fact part of the spirit of Mm -hmm. Islam, you know, of choice. So at every step there were a lot of challenges and uh, I felt that if I come from such a place of privilege and if I am facing so much of difficulty, you know, I am a teacher, I am an MD doctor, I had a very huge social network even at that time, I was an author of academic books also. And if I'm facing so much of trouble, then I can completely imagine how much the other marginalized sections, uh, and I'm not talking only about the queer persons here, it could be persons with mental illnesses, it could be women in general, it could be people who come from scheduled castes and scheduled tribes. So, it, it really, you know, it came from inside that, you know, if you are in a position of power and privilege, then you must speak uh, and you must empower others to speak. You know, In fact, yesterday I just posted on Facebook that you should pass on the mic. You, know? you should not speak for the other uh, people, but rather empower them to speak for themselves. You should create those platforms that people speak for themselves rather than you know, taking mm-hmm. over the stage and speaking for others on their behalf. So that's how um, I felt that I needed to do. Another very important thing, you know, like, um, in my undergraduate MBBS group, you know, uh, uh, I think there were only four or five Muslim uh, doctors in that group out of 180. Um, Uh And I always faced, uh, you know, this Islamophobic comments from my own fellow doctors. Um, I think the entire nation, you know, we have seen that shift, you know, whether it is office conversations, whether it is WhatsApp conversations, So there are these, um, you know, hidden and subtle remarks which are made, and then what do you do? I mean, if you respond to it, then you are labeled as anti-national, and uh, you can't really, you know, fake it and join the conversation. And whenever I used to, you know, try and present an alternative viewpoint, uh, the question which uh, was put forth is, what have you done for the community? Have you tried and Mm -hmm. explained to your own community that they are backward, that their certain views are not really in sync with modern times? And that's why I felt that as a member of the community, whether it's the queer community, whether it's the Muslim community, it is my responsibility to uh, educate my community about their rights and also about their responsibilities. And this I specifically talk about when it comes to the Muslim community in India. So that's how I started writing. People responded to my writing that, you know, it sounds very genuine, from the heart, not fake. So that gave me a little more inspiration to write on the social media as well as uh, on blogs. I've reduced the blogs now because people don't really have that much of patience uh, to read blogs. So I prefer Facebook posts more commonly now.
0: You have some uh, viral posts that are your quotes yeah. <laughs> and then also your Youth Ki blog. So you've done a lot of writing. No, but yeah. I really think that that your work is so inspiring, because, you know, very often we see that there is this bogey that's used of, you know, oh, you're Muslim and all Muslims are homophobes as this sort of redheading that right wing extremists use for a way to cloak their Islamophobia. They don't actually care about LGBTQ plus rights. They right. just want to use LGBTQ plus rights to spread Islamophobia. Mm. You are the biggest uh, sort of uh, roadblock in their projects and their plans, because here is a queer Muslim speaking up for queer Muslims and right. speaking at an intersection that right, you know, makes sense. But you know, I think what's so that I think is powerful because in many ways, a lot of our journeys have been about introspection, right, that we have to solve our own communities first. Gay men should not be trying to solve trans women issues. Absolutely. And, you know, like, upper caste Hindus should not be trying to solve Dalit issues. Voices from the community need to speak up and reform their own communities. And this is something, how far do you think we've been successful at conveying this to people? And what has your journey been uh, living that sort of example?
1: Um, So the point which you raised, you know, that people should speak for themselves and not for the other marginalized communities. This is something I totally believe in. So when we speak about LGBTQIA+, for example, uh, we have a lot of voices coming from gay men. We have a lot of voices now coming from transgender women. Uh, But when it comes to um, especially the intersex community, you know, how Mm -hmm. many intersex people can you really name? Yeah. Uh, and especially those who are out on the social media and speaking for their community. So mm-hmm. it's always my, uh, you know, um, an endeavor that we should identify the intersex persons. We should, um, you know, help them come onto the stage and speak for their own community. And even amongst the intersex persons, it's a, it's a huge amount of variation. So uh, it's mm-hmm. very important. And I feel, uh, in fact, one of the most... Um, uh, you know, um, the community which is most oppressed right now when it comes to the medicalization of LGBTQIA is intersex community. And this I can also say as a doctors and that a lot of doctors and surgeons have committed crimes against uh, intersex mm-hmm. persons. You know, when we speak about LGBTQIA, the intervention that we generally think of is um, uh, about conversion therapy, you know, for the gay person yeah. or... At most, you know, certain surgeries which have gone wrong for the transgender persons. But when it comes to intersex population, for example, there are devastating uh, surgeries that have been done, which have destroyed the lives of these persons, you know, whether it's emotional life or even physical uh, you know, issues.
0: You've frozen for a second, uh, Aksa, but we are here on Gacy
1: Family development of normal human beings.
0: You'd frozen for a quick second. So I, I, I completely agree with your point. I want to now sort of shift gears a little bit because I think that point is important. But also to say that very often if you're queer and you're speaking up on queer issues, you're often expected to only speak on queer issues. You're an LGBT exactly. activist. You only speak on LGBTQ plus rights, you know. <laughs> And even growing up, so many of us feel that we can't come out of the closet or we can't come out because that will stop us from pursuing our other dreams or our other ambitions. You know, for me, I think coming out was hard because I thought, you know, you can never enter politics if you're gay, right? Hmm. And for many others, that's a similar journey. What What response have you had as a queer person who's incredibly outspoken and vocal on other issues as well, and whose opinion now is being recognized and respected on those other issues as well?
1: I think, uh, you know, one is um, there were a lot of uh, many other causes which inspired me. So while being a transgender person and transitioning, I would say that had been the most important challenge in my life. But then we, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I have multiple minority stress, I can say. So I do come when it comes to religion, I come from a minority. When it comes to gender, it's not just transgender, but a transgender woman. So even when you have transitioned and acclaimed yourself as a woman, you are still a woman in a very patriarchal country, uh, and again mm-hmm. there are many other you know factors. So there are multiple minority stress. I would definitely say so. I couldn't really you know cling to just one cause and ignore all the other causes, because uh, at the end of the day you do advocacy and you speak basically you know in order to silence the, um, you know, the turmoil which is there in your own heart. If you don't write, I mean, if you don't speak about certain things, you can't really have a good night's sleep. So I couldn't really speak only about the transgender issues and not speak about Islamophobia, for example, or not speak about uh, you know, the operations uh, of the Kashmiri Muslims, or not speak about the intersex community, or not speak about you know, the politics of our country, for example. So, one is that it was my need to speak on these issues. Secondly, since I have worked on multiple issues, like for example, in the last three months, as you must be knowing, I was completely drowned into the COVID relief work, um, initially with the yeah. Delhi rights work and later on with the COVID relief work. And even before that, you know, with the NTCA protest also. So, that gives uh, a kind of, uh, you know, validity to your work and people respect you for the other works that you do. So for them, you are not just someone who is ranting about transgender rights all the time. You are also a person who is doing fundraising for providing food to people. You are also a person who is speaking for the Muslim community. You are a person who is speaking for Muslim women specifically. You are someone who is talking about healthcare and coronavirus. So that gives you a lot of respectability. And in our country and overall in the world, I think uh, it's unfortunate that we give more importance to the messenger rather than uh, what's the message, you know. So Mm -hmm. if the same thing is spoken by other person, uh, you know, it may not be given much value. But if they know that this is a public health expert and they are saying that, okay, you must visit a mask, uh, you know, when you are going to the market, then that gives more leverage. So I think because of my work into the other areas, people listen to me when I speak about the transgender rights which might not have happened if I had only spoken, um, you know, about the transgender rights. I mean, it would be like, okay, we know what you are going to say.
0: You know, there's a very interesting question that's come up in the chat box that do we have to speak up on other issues so our voice is not viewed as a rant? And I want to sort of frame this in a slightly different way, right? And in a way that sometimes politics forces you to think that, for instance, if you only speak about LGBTQIA plus rights, can you be elected? Because at the end of the day, queer people are not a vote bank. Right. At the end of the day, politics is about building solidarities, building coalitions and about getting to that magic number that's going to get you the number of votes that you need to win. Right. So one, what is this pressure of having to speak on multiple issues? And so that your one perspective is not ignored. Two, In many ways, in previous sessions, we've spoken about how to create a platform. How has your process allowed you to create a platform that actually is winnable? Because we've had a lot of times in the past seen that queer candidates have stood for elections, but unfortunately not been able to win, except Shabnam Mossi and a few others Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. MP in the past, who also created platforms that were very broad-based. What do you think of this idea? Because this is something I've been thinking of a lot, I've been exploring quite a bit that there is a a platform for people who come from different marginalized sections, you know, that can be Dalit persons, Bahujan persons, Muslim people, queer people, each taken individually are tiny, Mm -hmm. or minuscule minority. Um, But together, they can often create a sort of uh, coalition that works. And yes, Madhu mm-hmm. from Chhattisgarh also. Um, right. So what do you think so, of this? And that's something you've yes. been building.
1: Yeah. See, um, you know, if you want to enter into any of these legislative assemblies or parliaments, any of these houses of elected persons, if you only want to enter there as an LGBTQIA plus representative, then probably you should look at a nominated seat in Sabha, which I don't think anyone is going to give you. Or you happen to be, uh, you know, a product of nepotism in politics. So you are the child of someone who is very well established in uh, politics. So you'll have to be born into the Gandhi family, probably. Or maybe one of the, uh, you know, uh, next generation of the Gandhi family will have to be someone from LGBTQIA+. Yeah. Uh, then probably. And then again, out of closet again. Uh, so, since, and, or the third thing could be reservation for LGBTQIA community. In India, unfortunately, even women are not being reservation in parliament right now. So, it's, it looks like a distant dream. So, if you really want to represent people at any of these houses, then you need to understand that you are going there not as a representative of LGBTQIA community, but as a member of legislative council or as a member of parliament and you are representing a population which is very heterogeneous. Okay, and you are going there to do certain work, which is you are going to be a voice of those 5 lakh or 1 crore or whatever is the population present there. And that population may, um, you know, um, the sector that you represent, whether it's LGBTQIA, whether it is the religion or the caste, that's going to be minuscule or minority always. So if you really want, and since it's a first-past-the-post system, uh, or a majoritarian-based uh, democracy system here, so you will have to garner support of your population. So if you are going to, um, I have seen a lot of times that in the LGBTQI community, most people, you know, they play the victim card. They say, you should elect me because I come from an oppressed community of transgender persons, or you should elect me because I'm a gay person. So I think that's, the, uh, that's not really something that we should do uh, because uh, I have seen that there are some straight people also who have stood for the transgender rights much better than some of our own community members you know, who have stabbed us in the back. So we have all kinds of people. So just because someone is a member of LGBTQI community does not mean that they have our interests in their important. heart. Sometimes it could be for the personal reasons also that you know, they want to enter into politics. So, I think we should, uh, when you are looking at mass level of politics and you want mass level of votes, then uh, just saying that I am an LGBTQIA representative and therefore you should elect me, this strategy is not going to work. You need to really identify the issues of the masses, and that could be as simple as you know, building toilets. Now, while yeah. you're building toilets, you could also think about you know, ki, where are the toilets for the transgender persons? Or where mm-hmm. are the toilets for the persons with disability? So, um, you know, this may be one of the approaches, you know, so you will be doing multiple works as a Member of Parliament, as a Member of Legislative Assembly. Uh, And in all those works, you could think as to what's in the store for the LGBTQIA community. So whether it's building roads, whether it is buses, whether it is metro, whether it is toilets, everywhere, you know, there's going to be an LGBTQIA angle in which you can work. But then if you're going to go and tell people that, you know, I'm going to make the transgender act more inclusive and therefore you should vote for me, then I don't think people are really, uh, you know, going to vote for you unless you come from a very privileged background. So, yeah, I mean, um, those intersectionalities and, you know, trying to cater and looking at the interests of multiple uh, vote banks would be necessary.
0: And I think that's very interesting that you say that, right? Because alongside all of these things, I think one more way that you can get elected, unfortunately, and we have to be wary of, which is why I like your point about just because you're LGBTQIA plus mm. does not mean you have the interests of the community in mind, is that political parties are today invested in pinkwashing, mm. that they are very invested in putting up a face and saying, Ki, we are progressive because this person has been elected on our ticket, you know, mm. like that token representation. Right. So, for instance, sending someone to the Rajasabha or sending someone to get elected as MLA, What do you think, uh, and there the challenge is that then you become a talking head of a certain political party or a certain ideology, Hmm. and you don't have any space to reflect your own interests or your community's interests.
1: Also, I think you you become a bad example. You also become a bad example. I'll just give a quick example of women parliamentarians right now from the ruling party. So when you Mm -hmm. think of women parliamentarians, or especially women ministers from BJP right now, which are the faces, you know, which come to your mind. And most of them in public perception, I think would have been failures. So that gives in fact a bad image to a lot of women politicians that see, you know, if you send women to the politicians, then they're going to be like Nirmala Sitaraman or they're going to be like Smriti Irani and all. So uh, not just, you know, the uh, tokenism does not help the cause. Sometimes it can also damage the cause because the people who have occupied those seats were not really that competent and they were just faces. So a bad uh, LGBTQIA politician could actually do more damage uh, than no LGBTQIA representative.
0: Very, very valid point. I think that's a... That's an incredibly important point. I'm going to see a few questions that have come in. One question has sort of come in, should we promote parties who do tokenism? Uh, No, I think we've been very clear on that. Um,
1: uh,
0: What do you think on cancel culture and what do you think on this young child of a minister who is afraid to come out because their parents might even go to the extent of killing them? So... Two questions, what do you think, we'll, we'll go to the last section soon, mm-hmm. what do you think of cancel culture and what do you think of, what do you do if you're born into a political family and you're queer? Uh,
1: I, I think with every chat I you know, get more knowledge, so I really don't know what is this cancel culture, you will have to educate me on that.
0: Acha. so cancel culture means that right now you make some statement
1: uh-huh. that
0: is deeply problematic, I'll explain better. A certain somebody made a very problematic statement on Twitter about okay. spitting on people and uh, urinating in front of their mother.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: this person has been cancelled.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So there's that level of cancel culture, it also percolates down. So how do we deal with cancel culture that if you take an outrageous stance, or you do something mm-hmm. problematic, then uh, we, then you should be systematically denied opportunities.
1: Um, I think, uh, you know, if, uh, though I, w- I don't really like the kind of thoughts of that person, which you have, uh, you know, just mentioned over here. But then I also think that um, no one is really perfect. And to look at perfect politicians would be a utopian dream. So no one is really perfect. No, uh, no mother Teresa's are not going to be found amongst politicians. You'll always have some other factors which you may not like. And that's the beauty of our democracy. That's all about dialogue, debate, and discussion in a civilized manner, which of course is missing right now in discourse, especially in the news studios. Uh, But nonetheless, I think, um, you know, uh, we must name and shame the people who talk shit. But at the same time, to say that all the other work which is done by them is invalid is also wrong. You know, so you will have queers who are, Uh, you know, inclined towards right-wing but I would say uh, let's not also discount at least some of the good work that they have done but at the same time we must not shy away from pointing out publicly that these aspects of your work are not really accepted by the community. So that's very important Mm -hmm. because otherwise, uh, you know, what happens is uh, especially in the political parties is that every person has some negative things. So Rahul Gandhi will have something bad and uh, yeah. you know Modi will have something bad so it just depends on which side you are and then you focus only on the bad things. But especially when it comes to the community and those who are the faces of the community, I think uh, we must publicly talk about it but at the same time we must not completely do away with the good work that they have done. Because no one can be really perfect you know, so even queer people are like any other people.
0: Mm-hmm. And I like the point that Trinitra makes. Sorry, I'm going to quickly just harp on a little point on this cancel culture, finishing (laughs) that off here. Trinitra makes a very Mm -hmm. good point that calling out doesn't mean cancelling. Exactly what you Mm -hmm. said, that we must call them out. We don't necessarily need to cancel them. I would add one caveat. I think cancel culture also depends upon power structures. Mm -hmm. If you are using cancel culture to shut the voice of somebody who's already powerless, then I don't agree with it. But if it is cancel culture that involves sort of a power dynamic that's inherently uh, mismatched where somebody is in a position of power where they can actively harm somebody else's interests or they're putting mm-hmm. out work that directly harms communities then absolutely cancel them ensure that they're not invited to universities etc etc like mm-hmm. if they are actively going to promote hatred if they're actively going to promote enmity if they're going to promote sort of um uh If they're going to lead to a lot of negative repercussions then yes till they improve like and if they improve and they they sort of improve then of course
1: so you know in fact Uh, uh, a very uh, good example yeah a very good example of that you know when we Uh, speak about freedom of speech and freedom of expression is that in today's time will you give equal opportunity to hitler to speak on issues as you would give to any other person so you know when i speak about freedom of speech that does not mean that you have a freedom to spread fascism in the world yeah. Uh, coming to Very the second question, point. you know, I think whether you come from a political party, whether you come uh, from a family of doctor parents, I mean, everywhere, um, unfortunately, the level of acceptance is less. And everyone has to, um, you know, figure a way out, uh, especially through the peer support, on how they can deal with it. Someone who is a politician, son, or daughter, or child need not be a politician. Okay, so it's not only about them coming out and then they'll be killed. It's it's true for everyone, you know. Um, fortunately, I have not faced it, but I know so many other people, you know, who were physically threatened and threatened with life, uh, you know, if they come out, especially because the uh, prestige of uh, the parents is at stake. And this is also very common, you know, with um, uh, children of business persons or with children of doctors. Yeah. Because uh, they feel, oh, you know, what will the world say that we are doctors and, you know, you are a uh, kind of a miscreation of nature. So, I mean, that happens. And that's true for everyone. Mm-hmm.
0: I actually want to move on to our last segment before we only take on questions from the audience, mm-hmm. which is the difficulty of a rapidly changing political scenario in our country, right? Mm-hmm. I think we are currently seeing uh, so much topsy turviness happening, so many politicians and parties changing sides, uh, that it's hard right now to to sort of navigate the political space. And you've actively chosen not to be affiliated with any political party. You do your work um, across party lines, and you engage with people across the aisle. I want to know, what do you think is the model of engagement? And I have one model of engagement, I want to know what your thoughts on that are. of engaging with people whose opinions you don't agree with, right? So especially, for instance, and I think this comes up very often, what do you do with BJP supporters, right? Or what do I do with a BJP minister,
1: Mm. right?
0: For me, that has come from a place of I actively disagree with you. And if I meet you, I'm going to tell you that as well, which I tell to many people I know within Mm -hmm. the BJP. Uh, But also that if I have to walk across the aisle and work with you, I have to walk across the aisle and work with you because you're in power but not from a place of charity, but from a place of demanding rights. That mm. this is not uh, something you're doing as a favor. You're doing it as an obligation. There have been multiple court verdicts for it. And you have to serve the people that have elected you. So sort of seeing politicians, not as uh, Dev Manos or like sort of uh, God, but seeing politicians as somebody you've put there and who are responsible to you. So how do you deal with sort of navigating the political space, not having a political party party, that you've joined, but still knowing what side you fall on on issues?
1: Uh, I think I'll give a, a, an example, you know, which more, most of the people can uh, relate with better and that's at the workplace or that's at mm-hmm. the educational institute level. So at workplaces, you know, you have your bosses and nowadays when it comes to political opinions and views, I think everyone is out of the closet in terms of the political <laughs> views. So you know who is a BJP supporter, who is a Kejriwal rival supporter, and who you know is a Rahul Gandhi fan. So uh, how do you deal with a boss who has a diametrically opposite political view? You know. So today, for example, GeoMeet has been launched. Fifty-nine Chinese apps have been banned, and GeoMeet has been launched just two days later. That's not a coincidence. You know, so uh, the thing is, uh, who is going to benefit out of the banning of these apps? For example, it's going to be Mukesh Ambani. It's not going to be the common Indian person. In fact, the common middle class Indian probably has lost jobs because of the banning of these apps. And the person who is probably going to benefit are, you know, uh, are people like Ambani's and Adani's. Now, how uh, this is a normal office conversation, which is happening, for example, uh, you know, and how do you navigate that? How do you deal with that? So, this has been you know my characteristic at my workplace is that people know what are my political views, and I do not compromise on them. I am not sorry about them, and I'm very clear that you know you can probably stop my promotion for some time or you know do certain small negative things. But then, when you have a mass support, for example, uh, support of the students in the university, or you have supports of other people in your office um, uh, then you should not be really afraid uh, of you know putting across your point so similarly when it speaks uh, when we talk about you know political uh, ideologies and political views and when you are engaging with someone with whose views you completely you know disagree with we must remember that we need to have a respectful discourse you can't be throwing mics uh, or you know uh, uh, seats uh, on the heads like they do in the parliament <laughs> or in the news studios for that matter, but you need to have a very uh, decent uh, political discourse with them and tell them blankly that I do not agree with this and these are the reasons for my disagreement uh, in a very emotionally cold manner uh, rather than getting charged and shouting on top of your voices. Uh, And that is very important. Uh, And if you don't want to do that, then I would say at least keep quiet. So if I don't agree with what, for example, Modiji is saying, you know, of banging thalis in the balconies, I'm not, uh, if I cannot speak against it, then at least I'm going to not participate uh, in the circus, for that matter. So mm-hmm. uh, it depends on what kind of privilege and power, you know, situation you have. So if you have that privilege and power, then I would say go ahead and engage with your enemy. But if you don't really have that then keeping that diplomatic silence sometimes also gives the message across that you are not an ally, that you are not a Bhakt for that matter.
0: Yeah. And I think that's really important. And I want to end on an important note that as we go ahead, we're going to see the fact of the matter being that we have to generate resilient communities. Mm -hmm. That what you said was that nobody can challenge you once your students and other people around you support you. Yeah. And that we're going to have to start talking to people and bringing them onto our side, be it only in terms of sensitization towards LGBTQIA+ issues, or be it running for office and getting them to vote for you, right?
1: So uh, i the future? Quickly, yeah, I'll quickly add huh. a point over there. You know, when you want people to support you, you must also ask yourself, how have I supported them when they needed me? Yeah. So as a teacher. There are multiple places, you know, where uh, injustice is happening with the students. Whether it is in terms of the fees which a private college is charging, in terms of failing a particular student in exams, and not giving salaries to the resident doctors, not giving PP to the resident doctors. So, have you raised your voice? And since you are a faculty member, you are members of certain committees. Have you raised your voice on those issues? So, when you do that, you know, when you speak for their rights then they're also going to have a soft corner for you and speak for you. But if you're yeah. only going to be sensitizing them on LGBTQI issues and expect them to you know, join you for your protest at then I'm sorry to say that's not going to happen. So you also need to work for other people and their uh, causes.
0: And this is Sakshi's question, which was also going to be the question that I wanted to end with that, what is the future you are building resilient communities, you are building this conversation, and creating a network that is diverse, comes from various backgrounds, mm-hmm. fights for various issues, right from doctors protesting to people protesting against CANRC, to people speaking up for Kashmir, to Dalit Bahujan Adivasi struggles, to LGBTQIA plus issues. What comes next?
1: Uh, I would say especially, you know, in the uh, Corona pandemic, one thing that we have learned is to take one day at a time. I mean, we really don't You've already better. become a
0: politician. You've already become a politician. I've already
1: given you a ticket.
0: Who wants to give you a ticket? Tell me about it. Now, let's take one day at a time. One day at a time.
1: Brilliant. Uh, So, I mean, we really don't know if there's going to be 2021, to be very honest. (laughs) I mean, uh, especially a couple of months back, we were really, you know, thinking as to what next in 2020. So, um, and I had a 15 days of spell of illness with fever and all, though it wasn't COVID. But then, you know, Mm -hmm. that really makes you think as to, um, you know, what's life is all about. So, uh, though I did mention a politically correct statement there as to, no no comment, but then the thing is, uh, yes, we really don't know what the future holds us for us, you know, so uh, we really need to look at at today and to be very honest, you know, especially in the last few months when we worked for COVID, you know, we did fundraising, we are not a registered NGO when it comes to helping hands, we are just a group of citizens and people trusted us with nearly 7 million rupees, 70 lakh rupees yeah. and we utilize that. So, um you know, people want to give if you, if they see that you're doing good work. So one of the areas which I really want to venture into is social entrepreneurship. So I really want to shift away from the model of charity, you know, where you collect funds from people and you just give the doles to someone. That doesn't work, that, that does not even have dignity for that matter. So empowering the communities, you know, to become their own, um, you know, sustainers would be very important. But then that cannot happen in a day. Uh, you need to really start with the basics into giving them yeah. knowledge and skills. So uh, that's the plan uh, for the second half of 2020. That is to work on a social entrepreneurship model, especially for the marginalized groups. And I really want to build solidarities here between Muslims, Dalits, persons with disabilities, and LGBTQI community. So um, rather than you know only working for one section.
0: And fabulous. That's a wrap. Thank you so much, Aksa, for being here. Everyone, Dr. Aksa Sheikh, pioneer, path breaking person who is making ripples, making ripples up in Delhi and truly creating the coalitions that we've spoken about these past three sessions that will ensure that queer people can get elected. Coalitions that don't just involve LGBTQIA plus causes, but that involve a common struggle for unity and for equal rights. That it is hypocritical for me as a queer person demanding LGBTQIA rights to not stand up against Dalit atrocities, to not stand up against human rights violations in Kashmir, to not stand up against Islamophobia. And the day that hypocrisy stops existing, the day I stand up for all of these rights and the day that Aksha starts standing up for all of these rights is the day that we will have the capacity to be seen as leaders, not just of our own communities, but of everybody as a whole. And I want to end with this note saying that, you know, we have a privileged position that as queer people, we already know that mm-hmm. our marginalization is not singular, because queer Dalits exist, queer Muslims exist, queer Kashmiris exist, queer Adivasis exist. Mm-hmm. So if we are a community naturally we have to fight for everybody right and i think that that's been such a wonderful wonderful journey learning from you listening to you aksa and thank you so much for coming here thank you to everybody for watching in we've had a fantastic time with you sorry that we couldn't get to each and every question we are thoda out of time uh thank you to anushka who used to moderate these sessions before who has been a complete darling and who has been uh struggling to get me on call Sakshi, I will tell you my political aspirations. We don't know if there's going to be a 2021. Mera answer wala hai. My immediate political aspiration is to get a queer person elected in the next five years. So I think that's going to be Aksa. And Thank you. <laughs> Pinkless India does not endorse any candidates, but Anish Gawande endorses candidates. And I will be on the campaign trail for Aksha, whenever she decides to go and get elected. And so be then my win is guaranteed. I know. <laughs> third time We're lucky. hoping that we'll be able to make you third time lucky. Yeah. But thank you everyone for coming here. So much love to everybody. Stay home, stay safe and uh, follow Dr. Aksa Sheik on Instagram, follow her on Twitter, follow her especially on Facebook to get some incredible quotes, to get updates and to also see some relevant conversations she's been having around uh, a lot of important issues happening across the board from why so proud to other issues that both the community has been facing Mm -hmm. and other marginalized groups have been facing. Incredible, incredible talking to you. So much love. Bye-bye.
1: Bye. See you.